This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Welcome to Linux In-Laws, Season 1, Episode 82. Season Martin, season two recently. What's going no, on? Here? No, no, no. This We've is traveled back Martin. in time. That's amazing. <laughs> Martin, Martin, get your get your flux <laughs> capacitor right. This is still, this is still season one. There's still this some bugs in there, is there? <laughs> okay. <fair laughs> Mr. Vista is just for the for the for the audience. Mr. Vista recently fired his fired his personal assistant. That was mm. kind of shortly after he fired also marketing. So this is exactly what you see at the moment happening. So Martin. Again, <laughs> let's let's get some We're moolah in, in time. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> let's fine. get some moolah and hire fine. a new marketing department, uh, so we have the additional cash to buy you or to hire you a new PA. But this is not about uh, Martin's personal assistance, but rather a worldwide exclusive. I'm almost tempted to say, Martin, why don't you get us started? Okay. Yes. So tonight we have a very special guest and friend of the show, uh, Matthias Kirchner, if I pronounce that correctly. Yes, absolutely of right. FSFF fame and, and other. So. Indeed. And for those listeners, Matthias has been on the show before. I think it was season one, episode 35 or 36. It will be in the <laughs> backlog, of course. Matthias is, of course, the president of the Free Software Foundation Europe. But Matthias, for those two people in the audience who missed that previous episode, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me on the show again. I'm Matthias Kushner. I work for the Free Software Foundation Europe. And... Yeah, I've been involved with the FSFE since 2004 when I started there as an intern and afterwards stayed as a volunteer and started working for the FSFE full-time since uh, 2009. And yeah, meanwhile, I'm mainly working on the uh, strategic questions for the organization, uh, coordinating staff and volunteers of the organization and yeah, giving, giving talks, uh, connecting people with each other in Europe so that people can work effectively for software freedom there. Matthias, excellent. But this is not about the Free Software Foundation Europe because that has been covered in episode 35. Now I'm looking at the at the logs here, but rather I'm almost kind of tempted to say it's, I'm very excited for Martin and myself to have you on the show because you recently joined the Authors Guild with, <laughs> I suppose, would be the first children's book on free and, on free and open source software. Yes. Uh, I mean, recently might be, depending on the timescale, yes, when we think about decades, as we often do when we think about uh, working for software freedom and changing societies, and I think it's recently. So I, I first started... So the first uh, book was published in December 2021, which was the German version of the book. And then I started working on the English version of the book. And that was published then um, at No Starch Press in uh, December 2022. And um, yeah, that's, that's at the moment it's available there. And then the Worldwide distribution will then start in August, uh, end of August this year, where you can then order the English book everywhere in the world from all bookstores. And um, yeah, then then it's available there. But yes, and, that was my first book. <laughs> and for those people who do not want to wait until August, I'm happy to announce that actually Matthias is now reading the book as a worldwide exclusive on something called Linux.in-laws. Yes. Um, so without further ado, let's get this reading rolling. 
Ada and Sangman, A Tale of Software, Skateboards and Raspberry Ice Cream. Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Ada. Her family was so poor that all their savings fit inside a cookie jar. They didn't have enough money to live in a proper home. Instead, Ada lived with her mother and her little brother Alan in a hut near a junkyard on the edge of town. Far away, at the other end of town, lived a famous inventor named Zangemann. He was immensely rich. No sheet of paper in the world was big enough to show his bank balance with all its numbers and zeros. He lived in a huge house with a swimming pool and water slide, lots of staircases and towers, hundreds of windows and so many rooms that he often got lost in them himself. Zangemann's mansion stood high on a hill. From there he could look out over the whole city. Computers had fascinated Zangemann ever since he was a child. When he was young, computers were huge machines with lots of cables and loud noisy fans. At school, little Zangemann often dreamed of all the things he would do with computers if they were just a little bit smaller. Small enough that they could fit, could be built into other fun things. He knew what he would do. First, he would build a computer into a skateboard so that it would make cool noises when he rode it. Maybe a fire engine siren or the sound of a rocket launch. Then he would use a computer to invent ice cream making machines. The computer would mix the coolest flavors and even sell the ice cream. There would be machines on every street corner and he could get ice cream in his favorite flavor whenever he liked it. And just as much as he wanted. After that, he'd build a cleaning robot and a block sorting machine so that his room would always be neat and clean. Zangemann had great new ideas like that every day. He could think of nothing else. As the years went by, Zangemann grew bigger and computers got smaller. By the time he finished school, they were so small they fit in his pocket. The smallest ones even fit on his fingertip. Finally, I can turn all my ideas into real things, Zangemann exclaimed, and he got right to work. He found ways to put the small computers into all kind of things to make them even more fun and useful. And then he sold them. Adults and children loved his inventions. All the kids wanted to have one of his skateboards, complete with the latest sounds to show off to their friends at school. Kids also loved his speaker invention, which could instantly play any song you requested. And of course, everyone loved the ice cream served every afternoon from the automatic, extra delicious, original Zangemann ice cream machine. It all seemed like magic. But the secret was simple. The little computers that Zangemann built into his machines made it all possible. These inventions were very popular at Ada's school and many of her friends rode around on the sc cool skateboards. Ada was often sad since her mother couldn't buy her any of those great things. No skateboard, no speakers, no ice cream. Luckily, Ada lived right next to the junkyard. There were lots of broken gadgets and rusty parts which she put together to make cool new things, like a soapbox she and Ellen rode rowing down the hill, a windmill and a scary chunk monster which she and Ellen would fight together. She also found many useful items, an old cell phone for example. The screen was cracked but she could fix that. And while there was an internet at the junkyard, she could get access somewhere else. Ada had so much fun tinkering in the junkyard and fixing broken things that she forgot all about the skateboards and the ice cream. Because everyone bought his inventions, Zangemann soon became the richest person in the whole world. With all his money, he bought a huge golden computer with a keyboard made of jewels and set it up in the largest room of his mansion. From there, over the internet, he could control all the little computers built into his inventions. 
all he had to do was press the proper key on the golden computer and immediately all the ice cream machines in town would dispense only a vanilla ice cream. If Zangerman wanted people to eat chocolate ice cream, he pressed the key for chocolate ice cream. If he gave the order for lemon ice cream, the machines made only lemon ice cream. Zangerman loved his inventions and was always thrilled at how amazingly well his machines worked. Sometimes people were disappointed when their favorite flavor was not available. But what could they do? After all, there was ice cream on every street corner. Zangemann had a lot of fun pressing the sparkling keys and watching people eat ice cream. He spent many hours every day in front of his golden computer doing this. Again and again he looked down on the city through a long telescope, observing how reliably his inventions carried out his commands. When he wasn't sitting at his golden computer, Zangemann was building his little computers into new devices and then selling those. He built washing machines that sent a message to your cell phone when your laundry was done. He made vacuums that played happy music instead of droning loudly. He invented light bulbs that turned on and off at the snap of a finger and cars that told you where the nearest grocery store was. Soon, almost every appliance in the world had a Zangemann computer built into it. Not all of his inventions seemed necessary at first, but people bought everything he made. That's just the way it was. Everyone wanted the devices made by Zangemann, the greatest inventor in the world. One day, Zangemann thought, today I want to see my inventions up close. He put away his big telescope, then climbed down the many stairs of his mansion and ventured in, out into the city, full of anticipation at the thought of enjoying his cool devices. Maybe a little trip might even give me a few new ideas. If I'm completely honest, my last inventions weren't quite as useful as the first ones, Zangman pondered. But my ice cream machines are and will remain second to none he thought immediately afterwards, and not without pride, as he passed a group of people all eating coconut ice cream, the flavor of the day. He was completely absorbed in his thoughts when suddenly, BAM! Something crashed into his shin. Zangemann yelped and looked around for the cause. A startled child stood in front of him, holding an original Zangemann skateboard under his arm. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that, the child stammered, but Zangemann wasn't listening. An angry Zangemann limped away. Suddenly, he heard loud music. He had never before heard something so horrible. He looked around and saw that the music was coming from a loudspeaker he himself had constructed. A child across the street was holding it. The child seemed to like the music but they gave Zangman a terrible headache and his mood worsened. This was not how he had imagined his walk. Zangemann was so furious with the two children. How dare they use his inventions this way? That night he couldn't sleep, so he sat down at his golden computer. From there he gave all the little computers in the skateboards a command that they were no longer allowed to go on sidewalks. He ordered the small computers in the speakers to play music only at a low volume, except for his favorite music, which he immediately turned on to get into a better mood. The next day there was a big commotion at Ada School. On the way to school the kids' skateboards had stopped working. The wheels simply stood still, and the children could no longer turn up the volume on their speakers. What was going on? Although she didn't own any of those things, Ada wondered why the skateboards and the speakers suddenly stopped working. But she didn't really have time to think much about it, because she was tinkering again. She put together a complete bicycle from the parts of three broken bicycles. She gave the bicycle to her mother as a present, so that she wouldn't have to spend her money on bus tickets to work. For her brother, Ada built a loudspeaker so he could fall asleep to nice stories in the evenings when their mother was still at work. 
After a few days, the initial shock at Ada's school was forgotten. The skateboard still didn't go on the sidewalk, but apart from that, they still worked. And so now the children rode in circles around the playground and listened to soft music. Only a strange, pompous marching sound continued to play at an unchanged volume, which the children found rather puzzling. Ada loved Wednesdays. Every Wednesday, her mother and Ellen would pick her up from school and they would all go to the library together. Ada was always drawn to the technology section. There were books with blueprints, instructions for experiments and explanations of how different devices worked. In the library, Ada could also go online with her cell phone. She quickly realized that there was also much to discover on the internet. There, many people shared their ideas and repair tips to help others. On one of those afternoons, Ada learned two new words, hardware and software. Hardware was a word for something Ada already knew. The electronic devices she tinkered with after school. Or those devices she could hold in her hands and try to fix or make into something else. What was completely new to Ada was the word software. She soon learned that it meant instructions that ran on a computer to control other devices or computers. Some books called those instructions programs or code. With such a computer program, one could, for example, tell a loudspeaker which song to play and how loud. The best thing about Ada's new discovery was realizing that she could tinker with software just as she could with hardware. Hardware is built with tools, hammers, drills and screws. Software is built simply by writing down the commands for the hardware one after the other. There was a separate language for this, the programming language. With software, Ada could make her inventions even more useful. She really wanted to learn the programming language. Over the next few weeks, Ada spent her afternoons in the library. She found books and websites that explained how programming languages and code worked. For Ada, it felt a bit like learning a secret language or like studying vocabulary in school. Ada ate it all up. She expected her first program to do something simple. Make this lamp blink. Of course, she wanted to try her program out right away to see if it really worked. At the junkyard, she connected her cell phone to a small LED lamp. Then she typed the lines of code into her cell phone. At first, nothing happened. Ada wondered where the error could be. She made a few small changes and tried it again and, yes, the little light began to flash. On, off, on, off. Ada looked at the LED in amazement. She had written her first program. Ada was totally thrilled. She imagined all the great things she could do. If she just entered the right code, she could make her inventions do exactly what she wanted. It was not so easy, but after a few weeks, Ada wrote a truly useful program. One that would make Alan's speakers automatically turn off half an hour after he had fallen asleep. Ada also had an idea for the next program she would write. It was a bigger deal. A real project. She would probably need the whole summer break for it. And she could hardly wait. Zangerman had slept horribly every night since his terrible walk in the city. When he went to bed each night, worries plagued him. Oh no, my marvelous inventions. It can't be that everyone just plays around with them. All the things that could go wrong. I put so much thought into everything down to the last detail. Zangerman pondered and pondered and tossed and turned sleeplessly in his bed all night. Waking up one morning with a deeply furrowed brow, he made a decision. He needed to make a change. Zangerman sat down at his computer and wrote one program after another. In these programs, he specified exactly what his inventions were to do and were not to do under any circumstances. The chaos had to stop. Once he was done, 
he sent all the new programs from his golden computer to people's devices. He ordered his speakers to play only his favorite music whenever he was within earshot. He programmed the ice cream machines to stop selling ice cream in the afternoon. After all, he didn't want his expensive clothes to get stained by ice cream while he was out for a walk. All day long, he sat at his computer and typed and typed and typed. Summer break was already halfway over. Ada stood in front of her big project and scratched her head. She had built a skateboard from old parts and then connected a motor to make the wheels turn. With a motorized skateboard, Ada could zoom to the library or the junkyard even faster after school. Super practical. But it didn't work. When she stood on it and pressed the go button, the wheels moved, but way too fast. Ada fell off the skateboard every time she started. No matter what she tried, she just couldn't get it right. After falling on her button for the hundredth time, she went back to the library. She always found answers to her questions there. And indeed, on the internet she came across a program that someone had written for an electric scooter that also needed to start slowly. Ada downloaded it to her phone. Back at the junkyard, she adapted some lines of code for her skateboard program. She tweaked a few things and kept tinkering. Several failed attempts later, on the last day of summer break, the time had finally come. Ada stood on the skateboard and pressed the go button, and the skateboard started moving. Slowly at first, then faster. It worked. She tried to break. It worked. Ada let out a cry of joy and took a trip to the park. When Ada rode her skateboard to school on the first day back after summer break, the other children were amazed. During recess, Ada Curry's classmates surrounded her. How can you ride your skateboard on the sidewalk? they asked. Ada thought a moment, then she said, I don't think it's your skateboards, but actually the software in them. It's probably programmed into the software that the skateboards aren't allowed to go on the sidewalk. But that can be changed. That evening, Ada tested out her theory on her classmate's Tony's skateboard. She worked secretly through most of the night, and the next day, Tony could ride on the sidewalk again. Unfortunately, his skateboard could no longer make the sounds that his parents had bought from Zangerman. Instead, Every ten minutes it made a strange noise that sounded like a drone-out burp. Ada knew that little errors like that could pop up in programs all the time. But Tony's burping skateboard was actually really quite funny. More and more children started to visit Ada at the junkyard after school, and she helped them to rewrite the programs in their skateboards. Some of her classmates were very excited about this new discovery. It was unbelievable what you could do with software code. They wanted to learn everything Ada knew about programming languages and soon they were riding their skateboards again wherever they wanted to. But that wasn't all. With the software, they could give the skateboards new cool features. Marie attached colorful LED lights to her board that glowed different colors depending on the speed. Conrad built old propellers onto his skateboard for extra speed. Ada, Tony, Marie and Conrad spent many afternoons at the junkyard. They even set up a real workshop where they could fine-tune their programs for hours, listening all the while to music from the speakers Ada had built for Alan. Your brother's speakers are much louder than ours, remarked Tony, who was busy attaching a speedometer to his helmet. I'm sure that's also because of the software, Marie said. Together, they changed the software for the speakers too. Then they turned up the music as loud as possible and danced widely together. Every day, Ada and her friends made plans together for the afternoon. From a broken ice cream machine, they built a new one that could make ice cream in every imaginable shape and color. They ate square ice cream 
heart-shaped ice cream and even pyramid-shaped ice cream, as well as strawberry, raspberry and rainbow ice cream, all with sprinkles and hot fudge. Much better than the varieties from the Zangemann machines. Sometimes they could even help adults. Tony reprogrammed his father's ironing machine so that it could also iron ties together. Sometimes they could even help adults. Tony reprogrammed his father's ironing machine so that it could also iron ties again. Zangemann had forbidden the machines to do so because he hated ties like the black. For the bus driver, they built an automatic watering system out of old hoses and a computer so that her plants would not die of thirst during summer days. And they helped the school custodian modify his vacuum so that it automatically recognized toys and wouldn't suck them up. Some things they built just for fun, like the fart machine they put into their math teacher's chair. Whenever Miss Garnett sat down, the machine played a little fart sound. The teacher would scold them, but Ada was sure that she secretly smirked a little every time. One day, Zangemann noticed that some computers no longer obeyed his programming commands. Shocked and fuming with anger, he called the president. In a quivering voice, Zangemann yelled, Someone is rewriting the programs in my devices. That can't happen. After all, they are my inventions. It's far too dangerous if everyone can do whatever they want with the computers. You must make a law against this. The president did not want to upset Zangemann. All the government's computers were programmed by Zangemann. Without the computers, the government would not be able to run the country. So they passed the law as Zangemann requested. All the computers that do not listen to Zangemann are banned. Anyone who reprograms Zangemann's devices will be fined 500,000 gold pieces. When Ada and her friends heard this, they were furious. This is unfair, they said. We rebuilt and reprogrammed our skateboards ourselves. They are much better now. We won't let anyone take that away from us. They gathered in front of one of their rebuilt ice cream machines and discussed the situation. It was clear that something had to be done about the new law. And they made a plan. The next day, they didn't go to school. Instead, they rode their skateboards to the parliament building, with large protest signs under their arms, and sat down in front of the building. The evening before, they had put LED lights on some of the signs, which were now flashing brightly. They had connected their speakers together, so everyone in the street could hear what they were saying. Some passerby stopped and asked the children what they were demonstrating for. For software freedom, they replied in unison and told the adults their story. Impressed, the adults nodded, and the president also looked curiously at their signs as he approached the building. On the following day, Ada and her friends again sat down in front of the parliament building. This time with support, some classmates came whose skateboards Ada had reprogrammed. Tony's father and other parents and adults also wanted to support the protest they found the children's devices very useful. With each passing day, more and more children and adults joined the protest. The bus driver they had helped drove up in her bus. She honked loudly to attract even more people to the protest. The custodian brought a few friends and Tony's father brought his colleagues from work, all wearing perfectly ironed ties. Even Miss Garnet came. The crowd grew and after a few weeks, there were protests not just in Ada's city, but also in many cities throughout the country. Ada protested in front of the parliament building every week, even in pouring rain. On one such rainy day, when the president passed a group of tripping wet children, he couldn't help but admire their stubbornness. He asked Ada, why do you sit here every day? What do you want to achieve? Ada replied, we want to determine for ourselves 
what we can do and cannot do with our computers. Her friends shouted in unison, Don't wreck our tech! Don't wreck our tech! And we want the code! We want the code! The president looked at the determined faces of the children. Honestly, he too wanted to decide for himself what the government could and couldn't do with its computers. But he didn't understand anything about computers and code, so he had always left that to Zangerman. Deep in thought, the president entered the building. The next day, the president invited Ada and her friends over. We also want to be in charge of our software ourselves. In order for that to be true, the government must be independent from Zangerman. Can you tell me what you know about computer programs? He asked them. Enthusiastically, they explained to him how software works and what you could do with it. The president was amazed. With this new knowledge, the government would be able to design its own software the way it wanted, completely without Zangman. Immediately, the president called his advisors. In a large group, they discussed with the children everything they could change and improve in the software. That evening, the children went home proud and satisfied. Something finally happened. Their long protest was worth it. The next morning, the president's phone rang very early. It was Zangerman. He was angrier than ever. Without me, the government computers will no longer work, he threatened. But the president kept the call short and quickly hung up. The phone rang many more times that day, but Zangerman's calls went unanswered. The president sat in a meeting with Ada, Tony, Marie, Conrad and the government experts. In the days that followed, they talked from morning to night and designed their first programs for the government's computers. They were no longer disturbed by Zangerman's calls. Tony had the good idea of reprogramming the telephones. When Zangerman called, he only heard an automatic recording. The government only wants to use software that it can freely use, study, share and improve. Thank you for calling. Then, after many weeks of protests and discussions, the time had finally come. They abolished the old Zangman law. Instead, the government announced, everyone is allowed to program their own computers as long as they adhere to the other laws. In addition, a new school subject was introduced, computer hardware and software. That evening, everyone celebrated with a big party. Ada, Alan, Tony, Marie, Conrad and other children from school and their parents. The president, Miss Garnett, the bus driver, the custodian, they were all there. They decorated the streets, listened to loud music and ate ice cream as much as they wanted and in every imaginable shape and color. While the others continued partying late into the night, Ada and her friends slipped away to their workshop. They already had lots of ideas for new inventions, and they wanted to start right away. And Zangerman? No one's heard much from him. Maybe he's still sitting angrily in front of his golden computer. Maybe he doesn't dare go out into the street anymore and has boarded up all the windows of his mansion so that he doesn't have to worry about what other people are doing with his inventions. But maybe he also sometimes looks out into the world through his telescope and sees what the children are inventing every day. Perhaps then he will remember how much fun it was for himself to tinker and experiment. And maybe, just maybe, he eats pyramid-shaped raspberry ice cream with rainbow sprinkles. The End Wow! Martin, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a good children's book as well as a good open source book. So that's, I think that's that's how it summarizes itself for me. Um, um, but I wanted to ask you a question on that, um, Matthias. Uh, yeah, you have children, right? Have you have you read it to them as well? And 
what how yeah. do they think of it i mean actually what i did was i i developed it with my children so ah. the wow. the thing was that in around 2017 i reached out to several people on mailing lists and asked uh, people if there are good question, uh, good books which i can use to introduce my children to software hardware programming um, and maybe also some concepts behind it some ethics behind that and then i received uh, a few suggestions but most of them were for older um, children teenagers or i was not that happy about uh, how they were done so i thought okay uh, what do i do and then uh, what I did was uh, I started at the evenings uh, when I brought the children to bed that I was uh, like inventing some short <laughs> stories for them. Okay. Uh, something with computers, something with technology, something with, uh, yeah, all kind of this uh, things there. And uh, I mean, the good thing is with, with children, they are very direct in feedback. So <laughs> uh, you will directly hear if something is yeah. lame or uh, if something is good and what you need to include in the story to make it better. And uh, yeah, based on this feedback over the time from those different stories, uh, the idea for, for this story developed. And then I also constantly fine tune that with, with my children and, yeah, then at, at one point I was still thinking about, okay, how do I do that? And I talked with um, one of the donors of the Free Software Foundation Europe. And when he heard that uh, I would do a, a book for children introducing software freedom to them, he said that uh, if if you do such a book, then we will buy 1,000 copies and uh, give that to customers of us. And then I thought, okay, now I really have to start. <laughs> so... Um, and then, yeah, the, the FSFE then also made it possible for me to get uh, an editor, a children's books editor, who then helped me to uh, provide feedback and let me know what what uh, things should be changed for children in a, in a, in a story like that. And, uh, yeah, then, then we started working on that and constantly over the time uh, reading the story again and again to, to my children and uh, fine-tuning it from there. Besides then also providing the script to other parents uh, and other um, other adults in general in the in the FSFE, asking them to to give me feedback. And yeah, so at the book there were so many people involved and who provided such uh, great feedback to me. Um, you you find some of them in the uh, acknowledgments. Uh, yeah, that the book wouldn't be possible without all those people there. So. And my children were one of the most important uh, contributors for, for this story. That's amazing, Matthias. Taking a look at the history of the book, you published it in German first. And then I, when I was visiting a community event in Kiel uh, in September last year, actually, I came across a, a Ukrainian version of the book, <laughs> which in my naiveness, I originally mistook for the Russian version. Of course, somebody corrected me very quickly. <laughs> But why did you choose to publish a Ukrainian version right after the German one instead of an English one? So um, the background about that is that we first published it with uh, with O'Reilly in Germany, uh, in, in German, uh, the version there. And then I directly started also with the English version and already quite quickly also had a draft for the English version. But we wanted to make sure that we that we get publishers because we want to make sure with this book that we um, reach children, but also adults, uh, which are not in our bubble. Um, so we uh, we think it's it's important that we get publishers who make sure that this book is also in some bookstores, promoted in circles, which uh, we normally as FSFE don't reach ourselves. So all of that discussions with uh, finding a publisher, discussing with the publisher about Creative Commons, CZ BY, share alike, uh, licensing, and what to keep in mind there. And also in general, like uh, if this is economically viable for the publisher or not. Uh, so that, that were discussions which took quite a while. Um, and in between, there was the... Um, uh, the the lot of uh, refugees then from Ukraine, which uh, who came to to Germany and to other parts of Europe, 
And uh, we saw that there were also a lot of, of children coming here and they don't have anything with them, almost no toys, no books. And then we thought, well, it might be might be a nice thing for, for the FSFE to contribute that we translate this book into Ukrainian, we print uh, a few copies and distribute that to organizations who work with refugee children. And the feedback we got also from, from some of the organizations there that was also quite positive. And then we, we got a donation for that, translated uh, this into Ukrainian, printed 2,750 copies, and then distributed that to other organizations. And that's that's the background of that. We also did some readings for for children, like there were some one library in Berlin was organizing a German Ukrainian reading of the book. There was the actually the um, embassy of uh, Baden-Württemberg, which is a southern German state. Uh, they organized an Ukrainian reading and also provided lots of great dishes and uh, ice cream and other things to the uh, attending children. So that that was the that's the background there why we then first had an Ukrainian version bef which we self published before the uh, English publisher actually published um, English uh, version of the book. We also in between uh, published an Arabic version because uh, a lot of people were very happy about uh, the Ukrainian version what we did there. So we also got uh, a donation then to um, do an Arabic translation and uh, print 7,000 copies of uh, the Arabic version and also distribute that to organizations working um, working with uh, children coming from Arabic-speaking countries. 7,000 copies, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we, we might have to reprint at the moment. Yes, I, we already distributed all of them and now we are getting lots of requests by organizations who ask us, uh, do you still have some? There are so many people asking for them. And <laughs> so, wow. yeah, if, if we get enough donations in again, then we might just do another print run there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, full, full disclosure, I bought a couple of copies for people that I know for example, my mother, I gave one for Christmas to my mother because I think it's an ideal medium to convey the notion of open source, um, especially the way it's written. I mean, it's it's not just, it's just not for, for, for kids, but rather I think it's actually also for adults, especially if they don't know about the, uh, about the background of the book. Hmm. And what is especially interesting is actually the licensing. Why don't you touch on this a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, f first about the the age. I mean, I first just wrote it for children, but every good children book, uh, when when you have a children book which is uh, written for um, adults to read it out aloud, it should also be fun for them. And I received a lot of feedback, like <laughs> you just said, uh, Chris. Oh, it's it's perfect. Uh, finally, my parents understand what I am doing here with uh, free software, or. Uh, finally, my boss understands uh, the idea behind this, <laughs> and so th yeah, that's that's also why now for the the English book we say it's it's a book for uh, people from six till hundred six years. So, um, and yes, so uh, about the licensing, um, yes, uh, we we decided very early in the process that uh, uh, because uh, I mean, so. Even so, you said, Chris, that this is not about the FSFE. <laughs> it, it, it is because uh, the FSFE um, also financed this and uh, the FSFE got donations to, to then finance this project. So we, we, uh, the FSFE paid for the illustrator, we paid for an, an editor, and, um, and also then for a lot of uh, the after I wrote the book and uh, finished all of that uh, to have negotiations with uh, publishers about um, publishing the book. So that's all part uh, which was covered by the FSFE and, um, and the, all the, um, uh, the revenue, uh, which you get as an author, that's also all going to the, to the FSFE as a, uh, for our work for, for software freedom there. So, and there at the beginning, we already, um, had a discussion that this book should be published under a Creative Commons license and it should not be the non-commercial license because we want uh, it to be uh, that, that it's possible to include that in uh, GNU Linux distributions if you want to, that you can uh, 
that you can also um, do uh, changes on that and sell the copies afterwards so that we don't include this uh, quite uh, difficult to adhere to or to interpret uh, NC license of uh, Creative Commons. And yeah, well, that, that was then actually something which uh, turned out yeah, to... Um, to still be quite unusual in the publishing world. So for the I German can imagine book, that, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, first thing was with the, uh, I mean, with O'Reilly for the German version, we had a publisher who already, uh, they, they already had experiences with Creative Commons licensing, but it's still as, as soon as you start, well, we, we don't want to have NC, there is some discussion about that, but uh, so and that's why I'm also very thankful to um, to O'Reilly uh, Germany there that they agreed on this after we discussed this and that they um, that they said okay they they take the risk which is associated with that that also pub other uh, publishers could print that and sell it and they they will support us in this and uh, I was very thankful that there are so many people who bought the book then even so they could have gotten a copy somewhere else as an ebook or so but that they bought this and are supporting a publisher uh, that is um that is publishing books under uh, under a free license free cultural license or in the educational context as open educational resources and um yeah that that was then also like uh, there were longer discussions also with illustrators uh, which uh, i i reached out to for the book and uh, for them, it's also quite unusual. So, um, yeah, they, they are not used to to this. And uh, in the end, you have to ask them, okay, please let us know how much does it cost that we get the um, all, all the rights for what you uh, illustrated there and that you are also fine with other people making modifications to this, using it in other works and so on. And, uh, yeah. So that that's something which for illustrators is very uncommon. But I was also quite lucky there to to find an illustrator, uh, Sandra Brandstetter, who uh, after longer discussions about this, then uh, also agreed and uh, um, to to do this under this license. And then we we worked on that. And then later also with uh, like no starch press, we also had to um, invest quite some resources there to make sure that uh, everything there with uh, uh, the contracts and the other um, agreements around that, that this was all, all fine to be used with um, uh, with uh, Creative Commons licensing because there was some complication that already before we had an agreement with uh, uh, O'Reilly for the German version and uh, then to make sure that everything is <laughs> all right there and making some smaller modifications again afterwards with the uh, contract for the German book so that uh, all of that is is uh, good there to go that uh, it is then finally published under uh, a free cultural license, which we choose because we wanted to make sure that other people are doing things with the book, which is now also happening. Um, so that's the really nice thing there. So, yeah, I mean, uh, clearly you, you're conveying a certain message for the book, right? And you're trying to educate uh, well, predominantly children, but also adults who read the book uh, about, you know the, the tech situation and the power that uh, it has over our lives um do you have any i mean going forwards from that do you have any other uh let's say messages you think you want to convey through that same medium by writing another book perhaps <laughs> um at, at the moment uh my my I, I concentrate on on this book so i mean the yeah. the english book will start then in in september on and we need to make sure that a lot of people know about that i hope that it will also then be uh, economically successful for the publisher uh which uh which published uh, this under a free license so we want to to help there that there is uh, good marketing about that I'm uh, I'm also at the moment working with others to support them for other translations. So, for example, there is uh, there are now community translations because of the license allows all of that. So that uh, we have an Italian community translation. Um, the uh, actually the the French uh, Ministry of Education they translated this into French and uh, will now print uh, a few hundred copies for uh, event with teachers. And then afterwards, uh, they are at the moment helping us to find a publisher in France. Um, so 
uh, that's something where I'm I'm supporting this, also helping with in case there are questions with translations, and then there are people reaching out um, who want to adapt the book uh, to make it a little bit um, shorter uh, that you can already use it better in kindergarten education. So there are people in, in Germany at the moment who are asking for that. Then uh, I'm I'm getting invitations for uh, reading the book actually to, to children. So I went already to many uh, school classes, reading the book and afterwards having a discussion with the children about technology, about software, about uh, what is right and wrong to do and with, with software, what restrictions are there, what what ideas for inventions they have. And that that's... Uh, really great to see what uh, what children what what ideas they have there and uh, also sometimes like uh, two weeks ago i was in uh, at an at an event organized by a library where then you we had an old uh, building for with 120 children reading the book there then in a in a cinema and uh, then i was uh, i was in the u.s reading this to a school class there after conference uh, it conference there so that that's something at the moment where I first want to to make sure that people uh, hear about the book, that they see what is what are the possibilities with that. I I want to help others to also be able to do readings to children or to adults. Um, so we published all the slides I'm using with the illustrations, the text with markers where you have to turn the slides when when reading the book. Um, so that's something which where I can just encourage everyone, do this, go uh, to adults or children, uh, read the book to them, and then afterwards have discussions about uh, um, about software freedom, about in general technology. I think it's a, it's a good door opener for those, uh, for those, uh, um, for those discussions. And beside that, uh, the other thing I want to make sure is uh, how, how can we ensure that um, that people who can't afford to buy such a book, that they also uh, get the um, opportunity to find the book and read it. So we are we, we already have encouraged um, our supporters in Germany and uh, Austria and Switzerland to um, recommend the German version of the book to libraries. And if the libraries are not able to afford it at the moment, to maybe also donate it to them. So that's something which a lot of people did, uh, did there. I also now want to make sure that this is, happening for the English version that we find some way to donate this to lots of libraries, uh, how to make that possible that people who want to support that can donate somewhere. And that's actually then going to libraries. And uh, yeah, so that's, uh, those are all things which, which at the moment uh, I am concentrating on. Also that the publisher asked me already if I wouldn't like to do a second version and um yeah, what what I uh, what I um, did instead was I encouraged lots of others already to think about writing a book uh, about the topic they are interested in or where they are experts on, and think about um, writing this for an audience which is also younger. And uh, thereby, I mean, there was now after the first children's book at O'Reilly, which was mine. There's now also a second one, uh, which was written by the by the editor with whom I worked uh, in my book. So, so links maybe in the show notes, depending if, if I can dig this up. <clears throat> no jokes aside, Matthias. Last question from my side. Can we expect more books by Matthias Kirschner on the subject or, 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 the, or otherwise? I'm, I'm not sure yet because, I mean, f for me, it's, it's always uh, with this one, I had a really good an idea and I, uh, I think it's, it turned out pretty well. When I have another good idea, I will do one uh, and I, there, there will be another book. But I really don't like, uh, I, I have, I've read several really good books and then I read the second book of the same author and I was really disappointed. And I think sometimes it's a bit like uh, you were pushed to publish another book or uh, somehow forced. And I mean, I'm not making any money with the book. It's all going to the FSFE. And uh, I, I have other projects for the FSFE I want to work on. Um, also thinking about uh, several children asked me, is there also a movie about that? <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, so <laughs> may, maybe maybe there's first an Ada and Sangerman movie before there is another book. I, I don't know see. yet. Uh, so, but but if 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 I will do another book, then I want to make sure that it's it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, else I might do lots of other things. I, I, I never planned to become an author. I just wrote this book because there was no other book around. So maybe the next thing will be first uh, to make a movie out of this story so that there is a movie out there, which isn't at the moment. So <laughs> so for all of you budding producers and directors out of there, I think it's fair to say that we are just about to acquire the, the, the movie rights for the book. So please get in touch with something called Linux in Laws so we can work on it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> well, with CC by share, like you can actually do that, Chris. You can uh, sell them the right to use this story under CC by share, like, and you will no, make a fortune I'm, I'm, out I'm of kidding. that. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm kidding. Uh, but if there's a movie out there, needless to say, uh, we would like to be part of uh, the premiere, and also we're going to have you on the show once again to promote this goes without saying promise to you if there is a movie we will have another another recording together excellent and with <laughs> that as it is kind of almost custom on them did you say martin now it's time for the poxes and makes it short and sweet. Mm. so uh matthias what's your pox as in pick of the week oh right you, okay. yes you can, yes you can promote the movie but in that case it would be the release date <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, it also wouldn't make sense to to have the book <laughs> itself, right? Uh, to make even uh, more. Uh... No. <laughs> and uh. because I mean, it's published quite some time ago, so it wouldn't be necessarily a pick of the week in terms of it's been a while. So, whatever, Matthias, whatever goes. Hmm. Oh, that's difficult. Okay. Well, 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 if, if, if you're not ready, otherwise Chris can go first. <laughs> More than happy to, Martin, if you want to take, if you don't want to take the honors. My Pox of the Week is actually a movie called, funny enough, um, called Safety Not Guaranteed. It's about a journalist who seriously considering time travel. I won't give away too much. Links will, be, of course, will be in the show notes, but. It's very, very funny. So if you're into something kind of funny, hilarious, don't miss out on, the, on that movie. Martin, over to you. Nice. Um, yeah, so for me, it's a book called The Spy and the Traitor, um, called The Espionage Story by a um, great writer called Ben McIntyre. So nothing to do with open source. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's always good to having... Um, just about growing up with the end of the Cold War. It's good to read about this stuff. Martin, I have the impression no. you, you more, the older you get, the more you live in the past. <laughs> Is that no, true? You can learn a lot of things from the past. <laughs> <right>? it's, <laughs> it's a very good thing oh, to study the so past. You heard it, so you heard it, your <laughs> first Martin, yeah, yeah, and yeah. still live in the past. Study, study the past. It's a good idea. <laughs> My tie is over to you. Yes. And now, uh, yeah, no, ahead. no, no. Actually, uh, I, I was a bit. Uh, so I'm at the moment reading a book, which I can also highly recommend. It's not completely about free software, but very much related. So and it's also connected with the book. So the, the book is called Choke Point Capitalism, How Big Tech and Big Content <laughs> Captured Creative Labor Markets and How We'll Win Them Back. It's written by Cory Doctorow and Rebecca Giblin. And uh, Corey was actually also one of the people who helped me a lot with uh, with the book. So he provided a quote after reading one of the first scripts, which I could use to reach out to publishers. And he helped me also a lot uh, to understand the publishing industry and uh, how to um, how to work with publishers to get your uh, book published under a Creative Commons license. So that was a really, really big help there by Corey. And this book is really, I, I mean, I haven't read the whole book yet, but the first chapters I read, they are really, really great to see how several of those uh, big tech companies are, are working. And uh, yeah, highly recommended. And uh, also like, Almost everything else that Cory Doctorow wrote uh, or uh, the audiobooks he did. So, highly recommended from Little Brother to all the others. So, if you, if you haven't read his books yet, 
you have uh, you are in the lucky position that you have many <laughs> of them to read <laughs> and you can recommend more than one as well <laughs> yes uh, Matthias, what you just did is actually you moved up that book on my list because somebody actually at fossem mentioned that very book in passing and it, now you set the title uh, you quoted it rather uh, this certainly has moved up on the list of, of things i have to read so thank you very much for for emphasizing this so I make a cracking on this and thank you for the hint. You're welcome. It's really great. <laughs> Good to know. And with that, people, thank you for listening and see you next time. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for their song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. Mm -hmm.